Hey, man. Welcome back to the Super Divorce Supercast. Welcome. Nicholas Villar is here, a.k.a. Super Divorce. We're here with episode number 111. One, 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 one of the Super Divorce Supercast. Kind of a special episode. People like that when the numbers line up like that. You know, it's always a big deal when the date is... Oh, 12, 12, 12, or uh, some horse shit like that. People like that. People like it when the numbers go like that. One, one, one. Here we are, episode 111. I hope that you find this to be a particularly enjoyable episode. And first, I would like to apologize for once again being late. I set the deadline on myself to get this podcast out, I said I'm going to do it on Mondays. I said, look for a new podcast on Mondays. And I haven't been hitting that. And I want to, uh, you know, it'd be very easy for me to, to start the show and just not say anything. And that way, in the future, when people come back and listen to one, 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 they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know that this episode was was a couple days late. People in the future wouldn't know that. Unless I called myself out. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm shooting on myself and I'm saying, Hey pal, you said Mondays. You said Mondays, you need to get the damn show out on Mondays. Now I could sit here and tell you all the reasons why I got busy and this and that happened. And and the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I dropped the ball. And I want to tell you right now. I want to tell you right now. As long as I'm capable of sitting in this damn chair and clicking record and talking into this microphone, so long as I'm capable of doing that, there will. Don't worry about it. It's not going to happen again. Mondays, a new Super Divorce Supercast on Monday. Right? That's all. That's all I want to say about that. I saw Terrifier 1, the original, in movie theaters last Wednesday, one week ago uh, today. That's what I was doing. At this time, in fact, I'm recording this at... Uh, a little after 10 p.m. And that's when I went with Bender last week to see Terrifier in cinemas. First time I'd ever seen it. And it was the first widespread theatrical release of the film in the film's history. It was a great time. Let me tell you. Fantastic slasher flick. If you like slashers... It's, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, uh, do I want to say it's one of the best? That's where I was going. I was going to say, if you like slashers, it's one of the best. Is it one of the best? Hmm. I think it would require another viewing. I'd have to check it out again. I, I can't confidently say it's one of the best. How many do you include in one of the best? How many exist in that group? How many titles do you get to throw in there? When people say that, it's never really spelled out. 
Ah, he's one of the best. That guy, one of the best. Well, how many are we talking here? What's the pool that we're working with? How many do you get to include? Because that's going to that's gonna change things. The number. Then you can whittle down the best of the best. They made a whole movie about that. That concept. The best of the best. You've got the best and then the best of the best. That's another level. I feel like maybe... Maybe Terrifier could be included in the best slashers. It's historical significance. What it kicked off. You know, obviously spawning... Uh, and I know that Art the Clown did not make his first appearance in Terrifier, the original film. There were other instances of Art the Clown in previous short films and so on that uh, Damien Leone had done. But... Terrifier, the original, it's pretty significant because Terrifier 2, when that came out, uh, that set the world on fire. That that really, uh, that inspired a lot of independent filmmakers in general. Seeing this, this really, really gory, bloody horror film that was made with love and care and attention to detail and uh and respected the um the fans that they had built up over the years giving them more of what they wanted not subverting their expectations they didn't they didn't uh kick things off with uh terrifier with some very gruesome death scenes build it up make people believe that terrifier 2 was going to was going to be even bloodier and even gorier and, and get your barf bags ready. And then you go in and it turns out that uh, there's one kill in the beginning and, and then Art the Clown has a change of heart and, and the rest of the movie is a rom-com. A kind of slapstick rom-com. They didn't do that. They gave Terrifier fans more of what they wanted. And, ooh! Well, what do you know? Not only did fans of Terrifier, the original, and Art the Clown come out in droves, but they dragged their friends and their families out to see it. And they told people about it, and they posted about it on social media. And guess what? Guess what Damien Leone didn't have to do much of? He didn't have to do much of ad campaigning. He didn't have to do much of, of buying uh, commercial space. He didn't have to convince people by begging them. Oh, I'm an independent filmmaker and I put my 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 back into this movie and oh man, it's going to bum me out if you don't go and watch it. Please, please go and watch my film. He didn't do that. He didn't have to. And I've come to the conclusion over years that uh that if you connect with people if you make them feel an impact, if you inspire them in some way, if you give them a genuinely good time, then they will go out and they will do your advertising for you. Not to say that there's no good time to buy ads or that people can't benefit from doing so, but it seems to me, when I think back on all of the, uh, the shit that I've gotten into over the years, 
all the stuff that I've stayed interested in, um, it's typically been stuff that I kind of stumbled upon by accident that just blew me away or stuff that a friend or a family member told me about. You got to see this movie. You've got to listen to this band, stuff like that, where the pitch is enthusiastic and it gets you interested and, and it's coming from a place where uh, you trust the person who's telling you. You know it's not just some shill uh, coming out of the woodwork trying to move units. It's someone trying to share an experience with you. And that's what Terrifier 2 had going for it. That movie, in case uh, you didn't know, that movie back in 2019 on Indiegogo raised over $215,000 by over 1,200 backers. Now you might hear that and think, oh, that's, you know, that's pretty good. In your mind, I know you're not blown away by that. You think of the budgets for uh, some of these these big blockbuster uh, Marvel movies, the, you know, the summer hits. You think of your avatars where we've got to make a billion dollars or we're going to lose money. That kind of stuff. That's what we're used to hearing now. So you hear, oh, well, it raised $215,000, so what? Good job, Damien Leone and Art the Clown. Good job, guys. Who cares? Well, here's why you should care. This is the inspiring part of the story. The original Terrifier, back in 2016, when Damien Leone launched the Indiegogo campaign for the first Terrifier film, they only raised... $4,360 for the first film, which was only 29% of their flexible goal of $15,000. Damien Leone went to Indiegogo with the idea for that first movie, pitched it to the prospective backers, and was like, hey guys, I'm going to make this cool horror movie. It's going to be a throwback slasher. Got this sweet... Uh, villain everyone's gonna love to hate art the clown the next big name in horror if you guys will buy in if you'll back it and most people didn't back it like i said four thousand three hundred and sixty dollars raised by um 48 backers just 48 less than 50 people heard the pitch for that first movie and decided to uh jump in decided to th throw their money in the mix and see what kind of vision damian leone would bring to life when he got behind that camera and said action now compare that number in case you have forgotten already you go from 48 people backing your first film only offering you up just a bit over four thousand dollars for the production of it to three years later, coming back to the same platform, to Indiegogo, and saying, that, that movie that I told you about in 2016, that you didn't want to back, that some of you, that just a, a scant few of you backed, turned out pretty well, didn't it? Got quite the cult following going. And so when Damien Leone returned in 2019 to Indiegogo, a bit different story. 1,200 backers raising 
over $215,000. And then going on to do $15 million at the box office. That is what my friend Celery Montaigne might refer to as a big W. I would say that's about the biggest W that you can get as a filmmaker. Independent filmmaker, out of nowhere, word of mouth, no big ad campaigns, no big studio behind him, just adoring fans, a great cast and crew with their hearts and souls put into it. Superb. Just a superb story. And at the movie last Wednesday, great time, great atmosphere. It was... uh it was pretty gritty. You know, Terrifier 2, it's definitely gory. It's up there. It's one of the goriest horror films that you'll see in your lifetime. But the kill scenes in, in some cases are so absurd that it borders on like just dark comedy. Because it goes so far beyond uh, what you see in other horror movies. It, like I said, it borders on the absurd at times. And I think that, that that's actually provides, like, it, it does the trick of providing maybe some degree of comic relief for seasoned horror fans. You know, if you've never seen a movie like that before, then it might traumatize you. And, and you might be one of the people that they were talking about in the, uh, the blurbs, you know, prepare your barf bags. Damien Leone, I think, even said that uh, in, in the little uh, introduction to the film. Because before the movie started last Wednesday, there was an introduction by Damien Leone. And he appears up on up on the uh, silver screen there talking to the audience. And thanks everyone for coming out. And thanks everyone for supporting him and all the cast over the years. And then at the end, there was even a, like a fan thank you segment. Where they, they showed a montage, like after the credits rolled. Showed a montage of various Art the Clown tattoos that people had. Uh, they showed pictures of people who had cosplayed as various characters from the movie series. And just, again, going out of their way to show appreciation for fans. And I think that that really matters. And I think that sticks with people. And, okay, maybe it didn't bring in a billion dollars at the box office. But guess what? Everyone involved is going to be over the moon about that $15 million number that they did on a movie that only, you know, that's budget was about 200000 I mean, that is just blowing past the return on your investment. So, no one should be surprised that Terrifier 3 is in production right now. They started shooting in July here earlier this month so looking forward to seeing where the series goes in the future i think that uh i think art the clown he is um i mean he is this generation's freddy he's this generation's chucky jason because there aren't any others coming in and vying for that spot really it's just not something you don't hear of any there are no new names in that conversation not in the mainstream. You might have some outliers. Your Victor Crowley, 
um, and such, but that didn't that didn't burst through into the mainstream the way that Art the Clown has done. And before I move on from Terrifier, I wanted to show you guys something. Well, I'll tell you about it if you're not watching on YouTube, which, reminder, ding, 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 you can. If you would like to watch the video version of this podcast, you could be doing that on YouTube at youtube.com slash superdivorce. Also catch uh, daily gameplay videos and video game live streams Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10.30 p.m. Stop by sometime. Love to have you. Anyway, I was on Twitter several weeks back and I saw Witter Entertainment, a company who does uh, some fantastic work with uh, VHS tape releases. Sometimes they're re-releasing older movies and sometimes they are releasing VHS tapes for like brand new horror films usually. And they did a Terrifier and a Terrifier 2 release on VHS. Multiple editions of both films. You can still get copies of Terrifier 1 on VHS. I don't think all of the different variants are available. At least some of them are. So you can go to uh, just Google Witter Entertainment and you'll go right to their website. But the Terrifier 2 VHS tapes sold out almost immediately uh, back when they went on sale the first time and I missed out on it and I, I don't know why I did that. I put it off and then when I went back to order, I was going to order two copies. I was going to order their, um, their sort of uh, standard big box version which had really awesome artwork and then the Terrifier 2 cereal box variant the big box version and I didn't get either one missed out and then they were going on eBay for like fucking 200 300 400 dollars and I said nah I can't do that I can't do that but out of nowhere Witter Entertainment was like hey we got a few copies of Terrifier 2 cereal box edition up on the website last ones if you guys want them Head on over there, pick yourself up one, and guess what? I got one. It's right here. I'm holding it in my hand, and it's really fucking cool. It's it's glossy. Can you hear this? I was hoping it would squeak. It's not squeaky enough. But it's old school, big box VHS presentation. You've got Art the Clown, a cartoon, a car cartoon Art the Clown on the uh, front of the box he is honking his horn in one hand and then with the other he is pouring blood into a bowl of cereal which the cereal looks kind of like um, it reminds me of some cereal but I can't it looks like it would be a, a, a rice cereal you know, kind of like a, a rice puff cereal. But imagine like red Rice Krispies or something. That's kind of what it looks like. And then there are saws and razor blades and uh, and horn. Uh, I guess you'd, you'd assume those are marshmallows. But in the movie, 
there's a scene where a kid is eating a bowl of this cereal and it's actually got like real razor blades and shit in it and it's just like destroying his mouth and blood's running down his chin and really creepy really really nasty looking cereal but anyway that's what the front cover looks like and then you open the flap up and there's the red terrifier vhs tape and on the inside of the flap you've got an art the clown maze that you can do there you're trying to get art the clown over to the circus on time kind of a classic cereal box staple the maze you know and then on the back of the box you've got your blurb about the film and uh, some special features which i always thought was really cool when a vhs tape included special features you knew that they meant business so on this one you get an introduction by writer director damien leone introduction by actor david howard thornton who plays art the clown introduction by actress lauren lavera and uh she plays uh what's her name uh sienna that's it right an introduction by actor elliot fulham who plays her brother so there you go um now i i did uh i did something i i bought two copies of this because i have a master plan i hope to at some point find someone out there who has the regular big box edition who wants a copy of the cereal box version and then maybe i can set up a trade with them that's what i hope to make happen at some point i didn't just buy another copy so i can sell it for 500 dollars. i promise uh even if i did it's really none of anyone's business is it it's my damn money but that's not why I did it. I bought it uh, so that I can hopefully trade with someone at some point. I saw it as an opportunity to make that happen in the future. So hopefully I can. We'll see. All right. I'm going to open up uh, not a beer. This is not beer me. I've got myself a Spindrift Sparkling Water. What is this uh, flavor I've got? This is Mango Black Tea. These things are just off the chain, as the kids say. These spindrifts. I mean, if you... They're so much more refreshing than soda pop. And I'm not saying this as someone who's like, Oh, I think pop is nasty. I hate soda. I only drink tap water. That's not me. I have always loved soda pop. I've always loved colas. I still do. But this right here, these these Spindrift Sparkling Waters, they're next level, man. They're something different. They are refreshing in a way that Soda Pop is not. And you can, you can drink them really as much as you want to. They're good for you. These are pretty good for you. Just listen to the ingredients. Carbonated water mango puree lemon juice and brewed black tea no sugar added 11 calories only ingredients that you can pronounce nothing wacky nothing wild and it's good as fuck so try it out get yourself some
Uh, on Friday, saw a different movie. I went with two of my longtime friends, two of my fellow cohorts, to see Oppenheimer in Columbus, Ohio. And wow. What am I saying wow about the movie? Well, I could, I, I, could I, I can, and I will. But just then, I was saying wow about the insane lines for popcorn and beer. Barbie released on the same day. I'm sure that all of you know this. It was a big deal on the internet leading up to the release of both, both films there. You know, the Barbenheimer movement whatever the shit you want to call it people were making t-shirts that were like half barbie half oppenheimer fusing the names together in different fonts and and doing all sorts of chicanery it was a big it was a big playful event the fan bases for both films seem to be going along with the fun pretty well it's fine i have no problem with any of that. I'm glad to see people excited to get out to the cinemas. It's nice. But. Come on. If you're running a cinema. And you don't. Adequately staff. Your snack bar concession stands. And your beer garden. Your bar area. You deserve to be fired. If I worked at corporate and I went to the theater where I saw Oppenheimer on Friday and I, and I, 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 I they have escalators that kind of take you up um, and, and drop you off right in the lobby because it's in a mall, which is classic. Love that. You got to love movie theaters in a mall in 2023 because it seems like a lot of them have gone away they've they've moved over into their own movie houses in separate buildings separate facilities used to see movie theaters and malls all the time and it was like they packed up and they went and opened up their own shits across the street so it's really neat to see a movie theater still in a mall integrated quite nicely very elegant very cool but if I walked in there, if I rode the escalator up and got dropped off in the lobby and I, I'm staring straight ahead and I see an insane line, people waiting for popcorn, soda, nachos, hot dogs, soft pretzels. And then I looked over to my right and I see they've got a different, uh, different beer area. They've got a bar, beer and liquor. And that line is just snaking its way over into the concessions area almost. And there's one bartender working. And behind the concessions area, it looks like you've got... You know what it reminds me of? Is when you go to Walmart at like, I don't know, 9.30 p.m. And they've got one cash register open. The, uh, you know, the U-scan line is, is going out the back door 
into the loading dock and you've got one cash register open. And for some reason, why do they do this? They close down all the use scans on one side of the damn building. Why do they do that? Why do they limit access to half of the use scans when they take all the cashiers away from the regular cash registers? And they funnel everyone over into one area which just makes the line infinitely longer. And then anyone who still wants to go to that one person, they're waiting there all night. You see all these empty cash registers, all these these places that could be filled with clerks waiting to wait on you, the customer, waiting to speed things along. Multi-billion dollar company can't find it within themselves to staff properly. I heard this last week, which pissed me off. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. We'll get back to Oppenheimer in a second, but I had to run out to Walmart to pick up a gift, and it was about 10.15. It's 10.15 at night. This location opened until 11. I was there for about five minutes looking around, and then I hear over the loudspeaker, attention, Attention, the time is now 10.20. Walmart will be closing in 40 minutes. Please bring your final purchases to the cash register now. And I thought to myself, I think I said this out loud. Don't fucking tell me to make my final purchases now. I've got 40 minutes to shop. I've got 40 minutes of shopping that I could still do Before I bring my final purchases up, you son of a bitch, don't come over the loudspeaker and yell at me while I'm still browsing. I hadn't even found what I I came out for, but I had plans to uh, look around a bit, check out some other areas of the store for potential purchases. Hearing that over the loudspeaker just made me want to throw everything down and leave right then and there. Like, throw, throw down the idea of buying anything at all, even what I came out for. It just put me in a sour mood. It very, very unwelcoming and uninviting to hear that when you've got 40 minutes of shopping left by the store hours themselves. You don't tell people almost an hour before you close, please make your final selections now. No. If anything... You might come over and, and, and say, attention shoppers, the time is now 10.20. You have 40 minutes to continue shopping here at Walmart. Enjoy, chefs. And then shut the fuck up and let them shop. Anyhow, I brought up Walmart because the movie theater's staffing And the way that they had booked it for that night reminded me of what Walmart does with their employees. It's like when you need to find one in this store, this multi-billion dollar store, you can't toss a rock without hitting a Walmart. That's how how widespread they are. That's how how, uh, prolific the store is as a franchise, as a chain. They understaff to a degree that, that... well, perhaps no one but this movie theater is able to keep up with. 
And so my point in saying that was if I worked at their corporate offices and I came in and I saw that, uh, I think I would fire the store manager immediately. And maybe I'd give him a chance to, to speak. You know, maybe it wouldn't be an immediate firing. If he could tell me, like, because I've worked retail before, and I know hours are handed down from corporate, uh, I would have been like, you know, I get it, but you should have skimped everywhere else throughout the week. And, and this should have been an all-hands-on-deck night. There's no excuse for this. That being said, how many hours did you get this week? And then if I found out, oh, well, the region, regional manager uh, only gave me this many hours, I'd go and talk to his ass next. And I'd say, what the fuck? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Given, given the, this guy only enough hours to, to have two people working, basically, on Oppenheimer Barbie night? You want to make our guests wait in line for 45 damn minutes for a tub of popcorn? How many people did we lose out? How many concessions purchases did we lose out on? Because people took a look at the line and said, ah, fuck it. I'm going to miss the movie if I wait for popcorn tonight. Which is what I did. I was 100% ready to get myself a large soda and a large Oppenheimer popcorn to eat while I watched the film. And I had to choose. Uh, one of my buddies was was getting a beer, so I was like, well, I'll just go and wait in line with you and I'll, I'll get beer. We were gonna split up initially, but for as ridiculous as the beer line was, the concessions line, the normal concessions line was like 10 times worse. So it was like, he's gonna have his beer and be back in the theater and I'm still going to be out here. I'm going to miss half the movie for trying to get a damn popcorn. So, uh, bad, 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 bad stuff there. That was really bad. A really bad experience on the customer service end of things. Nice theater. It's a very nice cinema. Um, nice atmosphere. I loved everything about that. But the staffing... And the setup, the preparation that they did for what they knew was going to be like an atomic bomb going off. Huh? That type of night. It, it looked like no one gave a shit. It looked like, uh, you know, it, it looked like uh, opening night for fucking uh, uh, Zootopia 4. Where you might have a handful of kids come in with their grandparents. You can't staff like that. You cannot do that. Not only, let me tell you something. Not only are you fucking with the cinema's bottom line, you might turn people off from ever coming back out to the film cinemas again. They might just stay home. They might say, fuck it. I decided to take a chance. I wanted to see Oppenheimer on IMAX, but guess what? It wasn't even worth all the fucking shit I had to go through. I, I missed a quarter of the film just trying to get myself some uh, snow caps. I'll stay home next time. 
I'll catch it on demand. That's what you're going to do to people. And guess what? That hurts the film industry as well. It's not just about you booking your your shit at your cinema film film cinema theater. It's not just about you. You're impacting the entire film industry. I could see Tom Cruise walking in there and uh, and really letting someone have it. So I need to speak to your manager. Look at what you're doing to all of these all of these guests. These people have waited all week to come out and see my new movie and this is the experience they're getting. I wouldn't come back here again. If my next movie bombs, this is Tom Cruise talking, if my next movie bombs, I, I, I'm going to blame you. Because I'm going to assume this is the type of treatment that people are getting all over the country at other cinemas. And this is unacceptable. And Tom Cruise leaves and then announces the next day he's buying Regal. He's buying AMC. He's buying all of them. And it's going to be a complete overhaul. And he's going to come and train every single staff across the country. It becomes his mission for the next five years. It's all he does. Make a good movie. I'd watch that. But Oppenheimer the film was fantastic. What I, I can't say anything that hasn't already been said. One of my buddies who I went to this film with, he might be watching this right now, Jason. He wrote a, a fantastic review, professional grade. Uh, it, it could, I mean, I don't even want to say that his review would fit right in in the pages of the New York Times, the Washington Post, or, or the Atlantic, because those are all garbage to me. Jason's reviews are, are I mean, they, they leave those things in the dust. All their writers, all their critics. Uh, if he had his, uh, you know, if he's listening and you want to, go ahead and leave a link to your, your review in the comments below and I will pin it as the top comment on this episode. So people for all time, when they come here, if they get to this part, they'll be like, oh, he's really gushing about this review his friend wrote. I'm not just jerking him off because he's my buddy. It's a fantastic review. Go and read it. Jason, please leave a, a link down there and, uh, and I'll pin it. And I'll send people over to read your review of Oppenheimer. I don't even need to go into it. Just, um, it lives up to the hype. I think I mentioned that on the last podcast. I think I said I was... I, I I wasn't worried, really, but I wondered. That thought had entered my mind. Is this going to live up to the hype? Is it going to be as good as people are saying it is? Yes. Yes. Performances, set pieces, special effects, everything was off the charts. Seeing it on the IMAX, of course, it's it's a bigger screen, but... But the movie itself, it felt uh, grand and and just just expansive and deep in a way that most movies do not. Go and experience it for yourself in an IMAX theater. You know, get that full impact. Take it right in your face, you know. 
and uh, and have a good time. Try and scout out a time of the day where the theater is going to be a little mellower if you go and see it soon because the IMAX showings are still selling out. So it's not like just because uh, we're a week past the release, you're going to waltz into the theater and it's going to be uh, you know no problem on a Friday night. You might still run into issues such as I had last week. So maybe catch a matinee and get there, I would say get there a half hour, 40 minutes early if you plan on getting concessions because you never know what kind of knuckleheads you've got running the show at your local cinema. The movie, going back to it real quick, it felt like a documentary. Not just because you're dealing with historical figures, but the uh, the performances, the way it was shot, everything just felt extremely real. Grounded in a reality that you know you, you share a history with like this is your world this is uh this is something that happened and you're seeing that played out on screen by people who are uh, completely invested in their characters you you lose track of the fact that you're watching a film you lose track of these people being actors and they they're just they're they're showing you history so damn good job Christopher Nolan. Fantastic work. Uh, what else? What else is going on? Last Saturday, uh, I went to a hot air balloon festival. It's called the Ohio Challenge. Second time we've been to it. It's a lot of fun. I like it. If you've never been to a hot air balloon festival, it's a neat kind of carnival-like experience, at least the Ohio Challenge is. It's held in Middletown, Ohio, I think every July. And we went a couple years back, a couple, two, three years back. Didn't get to go last year. And then we decided to go this year for our son's birthday. And uh, we took him out there. He loves hot air balloons. Doesn't want to ride in one, which I don't blame him. Um, I can't imagine being the type of person who wants to ride in a hot air balloon. It just seems so frightening to me. You're just in a little basket. It's just a little basket. It's not even like it, the it's not like the cage goes all the way up. It's not like a basket surrounds you and then there's like plexiglass. It's like there's a basket that you could topple out of and fall to your death. If if you get too dizzy up there, it seems like you might get too dizzy and then whoop Oh, and then you're over. That's it. You lose. And I, I just, I, it may be majestic and peaceful and such, but you go up with other people. You don't know who you're going up there with. You know, you might get some, some guy with delusions of being in uh, the Royal Rumble and you're sitting there and you're, you got your arms resting on the basket, just looking out peacefully. And then the guy comes from behind, whoop and just fucking just topples you over just grabs you by the legs and just whoop super divorce has been eliminated 
and you just you fall down and there's nothing you can do about that at that time perhaps if you were harnessed in that might make me feel better if you had like a if you had some sort of harness you see the rock climbers strap into these contraptions and these belts and and uh, vests and things if you had something like that that was firmly connected to something to a very sturdy part of uh, the hot air balloon structure to the basket and you're on like a bungee cord or something just in case in case that guy did come from behind and and he just tosses you over just because he's I don't know he's having a bad day maybe he didn't like the way you looked he saw you walking across the field and he's like I don't like that guy I'm going to I'm going to toss him out of the hot air, hot air balloon. Um you never know. People are crazy. I guess if you go up with someone you trust, then that would put your mind at ease, but if you're sharing space with just complete strangers and you're in a basket however many hundreds of feet in the air, that just does not seem like a risk worth taking to me. I'd have to go up with people that I, I really trusted because I don't want to be heaved over the side of the hot air balloon basket. I don't want that to happen. So I'd rather just stay down here where I don't have to worry about it. Um, I don't know. They do these uh, at the Ohio Challenge. I saw this. They've got... I guess you might call them like uh, tethered balloon rides. I think that was the name where the balloon is tethered to the ground by ropes and they still you get in the basket they take you up fairly high but not like up in the sky high so you get to go and you're oh i don't know several stories up in the air and the balloons floating you know it's fully filled up and everything and you're you're being taken up in the balloon but the ropes that are attached to the ground stop you from flying off into the sky. So that's an option. I might do that again with someone I trust, maybe with my wife, if it was just us. I might do the tethered balloon ride, see how that is, and then and perhaps graduate to the, uh, the full hot air balloon experience. But as, as for right now, I have no desire i'll go and watch the balloons and they do this thing near the end of the night where they they get all these different hotter balloons to line up next to each other and every hotter balloon has a different design on it you got some there was a paw patrol one there was a tweety bird they had all sorts of shits and they blow them up and get them fully inflated and this is around dusk so starting to uh starting to take the lights down a little bit and then when the sun goes down they start lighting these suckers up you know they they're on the ground they're fully tethered these aren't rising into the air but they're fully inflated and then they uh they have music playing and they'll kind of light the balloons up in unison sometimes to go with the music that's playing so you get this light show effect you get the balloons lighting up illuminating with uh you know the the big 
you know, uh, explosions of fire that you see shooting up into the fucking whatever it is. I don't know any terminology when it comes to balloons. Shooting up into the balloon. Is there like a chamber where the fire goes first so it doesn't set the damn thing on fire? I don't know how that works. I don't know the logistics behind hot air balloons. I'd have to, uh, I'd have to talk to someone who does. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll invite a hot air balloon expert onto the podcast sometime. We'll talk all about hot air balloons. Talk about the Ohio Challenge, where they had, uh, as I said, it's kind of a carnival-like atmosphere. So they have a lot of carnival food stands and food trucks and. Uh, the atmosphere is very much like a 4th of July celebration, summertime, carnival, that type of shit. And it's really, I, I, I love that atmosphere, but something that pisses me off about going to those things is like going to the county fair. I love walking around. I love seeing all the sights. I love the smells. I love the way it looks. I love hearing the laughter and the mirth and being surrounded by all this good cheer. But anything that anyone wants to do the time you have to wait, especially if you have passes to a place like Kings Island, which we do, like a, an actual legit amusement park, I think it was actually just uh, voted, maybe I said this recently, I saw it was voted the second best theme park in the entire country, Kings Island was, five minutes down the fucking road, and guess what, I was there earlier today, and rode some of the best coasters in the park, didn't wait longer than like 10 minutes for any of them. Which is a great thing about living down the street and being able to pop over there in the evening on a weekday. You go to the carnival. You go to the Ohio Challenge. You want to get on the scrambler. Just a, just an old-fashioned scrambler. Or you want to get on... You want one of the kids to get on the little airplanes to go up and down and up and down in a circle. That kind of shit. And you're waiting like 45 minutes to an hour after you have to wait in line to buy tickets or a wristband. And, and to get tickets or a wristband, you got to wait in that line like a half hour, maybe longer at the pace that shit moves. It's like the fucking, it's going back to the fucking movie thing. It ruins the experience. So we just kind of like walk past all of it. I don't like doing that. Because the kids, obviously, they want to go on stuff, but you know that after they're waiting there for five minutes, when they're used to going to King's Island and riding shit and just, like, walking on because we normally go at times where that's how it is. You know, you might have to wait 10, 15 minutes tops for something. But at a carnival, at a crowded county fair, after you wait in line to get tickets... And then wait in line again to ride the ride. And that that ride length is whatever, <laughs> 30 seconds. And you had to wait a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour to get on the damn thing. It's just not worth it. So we kind of walked around that stuff. I saw it. They wanted to go and, and explore. And I was like, we'll look at it. We'll look at it. But I think that they saw how ridiculous it was and it was like they didn't put up too much of a fight thankfully but that again someone could walk in there some innovator out there could walk in to that setting and be like we can 
we can do something better. We can tweak this. We can modify this arrangement so that people aren't waiting 40 minutes for a wristband to ride rides and then another 40 minutes to ride the Ferris wheel that goes around two times and then lets them out and they're done. Gotta be something. There's gotta be something that can be done. Uh, then we came home after that. Before we went to the Ohio Challenge, Jess and I had gone out to the mall, the local mall, and we picked up uh, a new Lego set that we started doing on a live stream on Saturday night. We're building the Pac-Man Lego set, which is really cool. They, uh, they, they're doing a great job with their video game themed sets these days. They're expensive as shit, but they, I would say they give you your money's worth with them. Very, very cool. And they always give you these neat, not just instruction booklets, but like the beginning, the first maybe 10 pages of the instruction booklets for the Pac-Man one, for the NES one, for the Atari one. They did it with the Friends and the uh, Seinfeld sets. They give you like basically a mini magazine, like a mini fan magazine, talking about the show, talking about the creation of the, uh, the set. Cool behind the scenes stuff. You know, it's neat. I like it. You know, just like I was talking about the uh, behind the scenes introductions, the special features on a fucking VHS tape. Like the one they give you, the special features with Terrifier 2 on VHS from Witter Entertainment. Gotta love that stuff. Uh, we're gonna be streaming that again this weekend, probably. Probably on Saturday. The weekend streams aren't really nailed down like the weekdays are. You just have to kind of keep an eye on your notifications, as dicey as that can be. And then also, feel free to stop by the channel. Because if we are streaming on Friday or Saturday, it's going to be probably around 10.30. So if you don't get a notification, you're like, well, I wonder if Super Divorce is streaming. Just pop over to the channel and check. Chances are, we will be streaming and you didn't get notified. Because that's what YouTube likes to do to people, for some reason. But we'll continue working on that this weekend because it's a fun set and I'd like to get it put together sometime soon. And I also picked up a really cool Halloween set that we're going to do closer to October. Probably won't wait until October. We decorate around here at the Super Divorce house. We, we put our Halloween stuff up usually at the end of August. So I like to get that stuff up ASAP. And I feel like the end of August isn't too ridiculous because by that time, typically Michaels and Target and Walmart, Kroger, you'll start to see them transitioning out of uh, back to back to school stuff and into the uh, the Halloween phase. You start to see the the uh, Reese's pumpkins at the checkout line and, and and they don't rush it all out at one time but you'll start to see these things appear before they get really full-blown Halloween uh, mode happening which that's usually like middle of September so uh, anyway I got a cool Halloween set that will probably do 
late August or early September. That would be my guess. Keep an eye out for that. I'm not going to spoil it. You'll just have to check back in to see. Believe me when I tell you, it's a cool one. It's neat. And uh, speaking of Halloween stuff, I was just curious. I went to the Yankee Candle website because I was thinking to myself just a few days ago, we've got to use up our, our summer candles soon. We, we've got them kind of backed up. I was like, I'm going to have to start burning candles constantly to get through all these because I don't like having leftover candles. I don't like candles from the previous season dragging on into the next one. So I'm going to have to use up the summer candles. And I was wondering, when are they going to put their Halloween and fall candles on sale this year? So I went to the Yankee Candle website and I saw they've already got ads up for like their early access Halloween sale that's going to be coming soon. And you can sign up for the email list and all that shit. And they've already got a select few candle scents for the Halloween line that you can actually buy right now on the Yankee Candle website. You're not going to see this stuff in the stores yet because it's still fucking July. But if you can't wait and you want to buy some Halloween candles now, they have a select, I think there's only like three that you can buy. Three Halloween candles from the upcoming season. Uh, so they don't have the full line announced yet. You can't buy all of them, but you can get a few. And I think they're on sale right now. So check over at Yankee Candle if that kind of interests you, because it interests me. You may find that silly, but I don't give a shit. Now, video games that I have played since the last episode. Let's talk about those. I did a playthrough of a game called La Forteza's Night, which was pretty unremarkable. Uh, it was very dark. You walked. You're walking home from a school function at 2.30 in the morning for some reason. And you're walking through a, a place called La Forteza's Subdivision. And it's very dark. Very desolate. And there's this, this like glowing red figure who kind of chases you home. And that's really the long and short of it. There's not really... You, you find your uncle, I think... Pretty sure you find your uncle dead, and then you have to run back to your house, and this fella chases after you. It's, it's one of those. I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it also wasn't anything. I'll probably completely forget about it a month from now. But La Forteza's Night. Then I played Something in the Woods, which was another one of these convenience store horror games. Where you you go into the convenience store and there are all these missing persons posters up everywhere. And it had a cool aesthetic to it. I've said this before. I'm a sucker for the convenience store horror games for whatever reason. I just like that setting. And you're playing as a cop. Responding to a call. You're looking around. There's no one working. Or no, you're not responding to a call. You go in for coffee. That's it. That was it. And then you, you uncover... Uh, evidence of something nefarious that's that's happened behind the fucking convenience store. I was pissed off because you couldn't get your coffee. You walk over to the coffee maker, 
you see the coffee cup sitting there after you make it with a Keurig. It looks like a Keurig machine. That'd be really cheap. If you walked in, I've got a Keurig, nothing against a Keurig. But if you walked into a convenience store and you saw they didn't have like pots of coffee, they didn't have like the big ass machine, the industrial machine, they just had a Keurig sitting on the counter. You'd be like, this place is a little sketchy. I don't like this. But anyway, you make your coffee and then when you try to pick it up, the message on the screen is like, I should pay for this first. And then you go over to the counter and there's no one there. And then you have to go exploring. You try and find the fucking guy and and you end up encountering a monster who chases after you and uh, you know, you shoot him a few times, you put him down, you find a dead body, you go back to your police cruiser and then just before you're going to leave, what happens? I think you, do you take off down the road? I think, I think you get away in that game. I don't know. I don't remember the ending. I'm getting the ending to Something in the Woods and La Forteza's Night mixed up. I think in one of them, you, you end up getting caught by the, the bad guy either way. I don't remember. It was okay. That was all right. Something in the Woods was probably a better game than La Forteza's Night, but nothing, uh, nothing that's going to knock your socks off. And then I played The Frozen Garden, which was <clears throat> like a bite-sized Silent Hill. Tank controls, all these games, by the way, on PC so far. Um, the first two I found on itch.io. The Frozen Garden is on Steam, if it sounds intriguing to you. I think it's at least intriguing. It was like $4.99 for about maybe an hour's worth of gameplay. That's why I said it's like a mini, it's like a bite-sized Silent Hill type of experience. Plays like an old-school Silent Hill game tank controls, uh, kind of some little mini puzzles you have to do to solve the riddles of the game and move forward in the story. And, uh, you know, not too difficult. You could probably get through it in one sitting. I think that's what it's probably meant to be played in, is just one sitting. You sit down, play the damn thing, and you're done. So uh, that was all right. You play as a guy. You're trying to you're trying to find your wife. You're looking for your wifey, and then you do find her, and it turns out, oh, she's she's in this in this fountain. She's in a frozen fountain, and you're trying to get her out. And how do you get her out? You gotta like, you gotta go in the fucking house, and you you manipulate the time on the grandfather clock. And each time you do that and go back outside, it changes the surroundings. Um, you have to find particular items, bring them back to the house, collect certain things, and, and try to unravel the mystery of how the fuck you're going to get your wife out of the frozen pond. The frozen garden. The frozen pond in the frozen garden. Not a bad one. Not a bad one. It was okay. Uh, then two games that have knocked my socks off. My Friendly Neighborhood and... The Five Nights at Freddy's Rune DLC. First of all, My Friendly Neighborhood. Imagine a sort of, uh, it's like a sort of uh, Sesame Street, like an evil Sesame Street scenario. 
That's what you're dealing with in my friendly neighborhood. I've streamed this now four times. Has it been? Three times. The fourth time will be on Thursday night. I thought I was going to complete it on last night's stream, and I ended up playing for four hours, which is a lot longer than I normally do on a Tuesday or Thursday night stream. But I kept playing, kept playing, kept thinking. Because I was thinking, all right, I've got to be getting close to the end. I got to a point where um, you have to take an elevator up to the top of this very tall building. And I was like, well, surely I'm going to take this elevator up here and it's going to be like the final showdown with the final boss. And that's not what happened. You, you go up into uh, another area and you can tell, all right, this is another huge map basically that I'm going to have to explore more puzzles I'm going to have to solve more doors I'm going to have have to open with with various keys and all that kind of stuff because there's an element to this game my friendly neighborhood that reminds me of the recent Resident Evil games that have come out you know and it's got elements of kind of classic survival horror in there even though you're fighting against puppets there are a few jump scares, but it's not really like a really scary game. I guess you would classify it as a horror game, but it's more of like a kid-friendly horror game, I'd say. Um, you use letters. You've got a gun. It sounds really strange. You use a, a gun with uh, cartridges or magazines, sorry, that you load into this gun. And the, the magazines are basically like Rolodex. They look like Rolodexes. You know, like paper Rolodex. And you, you load it into the gun. And you shoot letters out. I don't know how it works. Somehow, between the, uh, the paper that the letter is written on. And the firing of the gun. It turns the letter into like a big gold metal letter and it shoots out of the gun you blast these puppets and they go toppling and ragdolling all over the place and they come back to life unless you tape them up you also have to go around and uh and, and look for duct tape to tape up the fucking enemies that you kill or incapacitate and if you don't tape them up and you leave the area and come back they've gotten back up again they'll chase you down they'll come after you all that kind of shit and you've got you know you've got your health meter and you've got health potions you can take to restore your health and there are uh save slots you know they've got save machines and health machines that you can activate with the little tokens that you find the atmosphere is is incredible it really gives you the feeling that you are playing the game on the set of a show like Sesame Street. You know, uh, there, there are some really cool areas you go into. Probably my least favorite is the sewer. I don't like sewers in games. I don't know why. Similar to my aversion to warehouses in games. I don't like warehouses. I don't like sewers. I think it's because there's only so much you can do with a sewer... Or a warehouse. Sewers and warehouses just have this kind of monotonous like. Ugh, just let me get past this and just fucking whatever you got for me next. Cities 
You can do all sorts of stuff with signs and with buildings. A sewer is a sewer. A warehouse is basically a warehouse uh, with some slight variations. But, I mean, again, walking around a city street, you can have the buildings look all different. You can have different styles of architecture. You've got, you know, uh, you can throw homes into the mix. You can have skyscrapers. You can have fucking churches and libraries and and buildings that look vastly different from one another. And it keeps you entertained. And you can have like neon signs and storefronts. And you can walk up and oh, I wonder what's behind this storefront here. What do they got on sale in that place right there? And you can go and you can check that kind of stuff out. And they can keep things moving. They can keep things interesting and lively. When you go down into a sewer... It's just like fucking sewer tunnel, maybe a few lights, maybe some dripping water here and there, some some machinery that you probably have to fix. It's just, it, it, it does not hold my interest very well. I'll deal with it. And it's not like the sewer in my friendly neighborhood looks bad. It's just another one of those segments where it's like, okay, all right, I get it. I'll do my thing down here and let me try to get this over with as fast as possible so I can get back to the other areas of the game that are more interesting, like the park, like the sound stage, like the office building. Uh, you know, these things are cool to me. I like those. I like the aviary. There's an aviary in my friendly neighborhood. It's like a huge bird cage with a big spiral staircase that goes up and... Uh, Great, great game. Very, very, very huge game for being an indie title. It feels 100% triple A to me. I mean, it's uh, unfortunate that, that some of the big developers or most of them don't take it upon themselves to make games like this anymore. Just a huge, sprawling, surprisingly big first person experience single player experience that's what i meant to say a game that surprises you with how much there is to do with how much there is to uncover with uh with things like tricking the player into thinking the game's almost over with and then they find out it's not and to not have the player be bummed out about that that's another that's another line you have to walk very carefully because you can sometimes Sometimes you can draw things out too much if there's been too much monotony, if you've put the player through the ringer too much, if you've made them do the same things over and over and over and over again. If you haven't kept it varied, then you could hit that point where they think it's over and then you surprise them with more gameplay, a whole new section, and they're like, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. And then they complete it only because they put so much time in up to that point. And so they kind of grit their teeth as they're playing the rest of the game. You don't want a player to go through your game like that. And that's not how I'm going through My Friendly Neighborhood. I'm going through it smiling most of the time. I have gotten frustrated a few times. But uh, overall, the experience has been fantastic. And I'd highly recommend that you play My Friendly Neighborhood. As for the FNAF DLC that I mentioned, Rune which is a free DLC for Security Breach, that is another one that has just knocked my socks off. Just wowed me. 
jaw on the floor when I started playing it. I've got part one of my playthrough up on this channel so far. Made it just about two hours in, which is honestly bigger than I thought the DLC was going to be overall. I had not seen a whole lot about it because I was trying to keep my head buried to not get spoilers, to not know too much going in. I did read the update from Steel Wool a few weeks ago that said uh, basically eh, the Rune DLC is coming on this date, what was it, the 25th, and uh, it's going to be a completely different experience. A lot of times developers will say that, you'll hear that from not only game developers, but, uh, you know, producers, creators of TV shows or movie series. Oh, the sequel is going to be, we're taking it somewhere you've never seen before. And then the sequel comes out and you're like, that was just like the last fucking thing. <gasps> you know, Steel Wool delivered on that guarantee that it would be much different than the security breach proper, the base game that you have to have. You can't just download the Rune DLC and play it. You have to have security breach, um, and then you can download the Rune DLC for free. But from the moment it begins, you know you are in for something wildly different. Because security breach, I mentioned this in, in my playthrough a little bit, of the Rune DLC, uh, Security Breach, the base game, the Mega Pizza Plex is one of my favorite settings in any game that I've ever played in my whole life. Just from the moment that game started, I loved walking around in that world, and I still do. It hasn't gotten old for me, and I haven't played. Uh, I haven't played it like an honest sit-down playthrough really since the game came out. But I've watched uh, Markiplier play it. That's like one of my kids' go-to videos is they'll watch Markiplier's playthrough of that game. And they play it on the PS5 from time to time. And I've sat down and played a little bit with them here and there. Like I said, it hasn't gotten old. I can sit and watch people play that game or I could play it myself. And it's still just a treat just to look at. They just crafted an incredible world to be in when you're playing that game. The message from Steel Wool a few weeks ago said, that experience you had with Security Breach is not the one you're going to have with this DLC. That bright, vibrant, fun, family-friendly seeming atmosphere, that's going to be gone. You are going to get a return to dark, creepy, grimy, musty, moldy, uh, that type of uh, setting that people, I guess, got. they kind of got used to that with FNAF games. They got used to the things being dark, dingy, like in FNAF 1 or FNAF 2, or 3, or even 4, you're in the dark most of the time, or in Sister Location, you know, it's like FNAF before Security Breach was not known for being this, this really over-the-top, neon-drenched, uh, 
lights everywhere, let's have a good time party atmosphere. Uh, <clears throat> except maybe FNAF World. But that I don't think that really counts. Uh, something That's something a little different. But this was, this DLC, this was going to be a return to the dark, if you will. And from the get-go, you see the pizza plex, and it's just like in runes. That's why they call it rune. It's just in runes. There, it just shit everywhere. Trash, garbage, all, almost all the lights have burnt out. You wonder, I wondered, when I, when I started walking around the Mega Pizzaplex, or the shell of it now, in this DLC, I was wondering how much time has passed since the base game took place. Because I was looking around, I was like, this does not look like the way that a place maybe uh, just falls into disrepair after a couple years of being dormant. It looked like the Pizzaplex had been sitting for 25, 30, 40 years maybe. Things just falling, pieces of the structure crumbling as you're walking through. I mean, it's just, uh, it is a completely different experience. There's like, there's something sad about it and unsettling. Because if you've played the base game, as you're walking through the ruined version of the Mega Pizzaplex, you're having flashbacks to playing it base game version, when all the lights were on, when everything's in working order, when there are still, you know, fucking items to buy on the uh, gift shop shelves, when everything, when all the arcade machines are still on. You know, when all of the animatronics are in working order and you're thinking about this as you're walking through certain spots, you can remember what these spots looked like in the base game. Now you're seeing it and everything's falling apart. And it's, uh, it's a really neat experience. And they definitely delivered on that idea of this being a new experience. It wasn't going to be a rehash. It wasn't going to be, well, we kind of uh, turn the lights off and... and uh, oh, remember how the first game was really well lit? Well, this game's not. No, it's 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 like you have to see it to believe it. Me talking about it doesn't do it justice. You can tell how much work went into reimagining the Pizzaplex after all this time has passed and after the place has just completely fallen apart and is in decay and everything is decaying. and And even the characters who are kind of chasing you in the original experience. You know, like for instance, kind of a spoiler, the first time you encounter Chica is a jump scare, but then she like immediately just powers down and, and goes limp. And it's that type of tone. It's like everything that was alive, even things that were chasing you in the first experience that your first run through the pizza plex are now just like, they can't even move anymore. And there's something else sinister behind the scene going on that uh, that's that's coming after you and causing you all this trouble. So I'm going to continue playing that and uh, see how that goes. I'll probably report back on the FNAF Rune DLC next week and let you know 
what I think of the full game, what I think of the conclusion, and hopefully I'll let you know what I think of uh, my friendly neighborhood's conclusion as well. Hopefully I get through that on Thursday. I can't imagine playing for another four hours on my friendly neighborhood and not getting through it. I don't think I'll be playing that long. I don't think, but I didn't think that I'd be playing that long last night either. So we'll see. Anyhow, um, I think that just about wraps up things for tonight. <sighs> Time to hit my outro shit, huh? If you haven't done so and you're over there on Twitter, or sorry, on YouTube, please uh, sub to the channel, bong the gong for notifications so you know when new videos go live, maybe, if YouTube feels like telling you. Comment below if you got anything, YouTubers, questions, concerns, requests, whatever. The comment section is your oyster, so crack it open, slam it down your throat, and wash it down with a nice frosty tall mug of cocktail sauce. And follow me on Twitter at SuperDivorce, on Instagram at SuperDivorceBand. I also play music from time to time, and if you want to check out some SuperDivorce tunes, you can do that on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, wherever you stream your horse shit, you can find Super Divorce. Just type in Super Divorce, click on the song you're choosing, and, and try it out. See what you think. If you don't like it, try another one. And if you don't like that one, try another one again, 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 until you find something you do like, because I believe there's a little something there for everybody. You know? Give it a shot, please. Um... And like I said earlier in the, the cast here, if you want to stop by a live stream and chat it up, got a good group of friends, people kind of come and go. It's not like the same people are at every stream, but we got a nice rotating crew of people who seem to show up and hang out and love to have you join the mix. Stop by. Get in the pit and try to love someone, you know? Shoot the shit. Talk some shit if that's what you want to do. I won't kick you out just for talking shit as long as it's done. As long as you keep it at a certain level, you know? If you start saying shit that's going to get my YouTube channel taken down, then I'll have to give you the boot. But for the most part, if you want to come in, you say, I, I think what you said about Oppenheimer's fucking horse shit, and you want to go off, it's not like I'm going to say, hey, language you can come in there and you can you can use uh some choice words again nothing that's going to get my channel taken down don't do that or i will have to remove you or one of my wrenches one of my hired wrenches got some good moderators over here one of my hired wrenches will have to remove you from the mix but i won't remove you just for disagreeing or having a different opinion on something i welcome that in fact so come on by, Tuesday or Thursday, 10.30 p.m., youtube.com slash superdivorce. Come on by. Come on down. Until next time, everyone. Take real good care. Keep kicking ass. Love you lots. Lord willing, I'll be back very soon with another podcast for you to enjoy. Uh, bye bye Goodbye. We can go viral with this 